Well, good morning, Aletheia Church. I'm echoing already. That was pathetic, by the way. Good grief. I mean, like, look, I know I don't have a hype man up here. Like, who's a popular rapper now? I don't even know who the popular rappers are. So it was Kanye when I was in college. And, like, when I, when I was at West Virginia, I'm already off track. That literally took 20 seconds. But my freshman year at college at West Virginia University, they had this big fall fest every year. And that was where I realized that my lifelong dream of being a hype man for a rapper would never be realized. But those guys, ha- those guys literally have the best job. Like, the rappers get tired and they just walk up, and they get the crowd hyped and ready to go again, and they just step back. And then the actual artist comes up and does something. I was like, man, these guys have the sweetest gig of all time. They're just in an entourage with these famous rappers, and that's all they do. They walk up, they hype the crowd, and then they move back into the shadows. It's really sweet. Anyway, okay, that was not part of the sermon, so my apologies. Um, Glad to have you guys here worshiping with us this morning. I know some of you guys are probably pretty tired after that near defeat at the hands of the University of Miami last night, but um, we're glad you are here with us. Um, If this is your first time, my name is Kevin Anderson. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here uh, at Aletheia Church, Uh, and this is my favorite time of year. Uh, Fall is on the way, maybe not in Florida, but for the rest of the United States, fall is on the way, uh, which means football is coming back, and I will spend hours and hours in front of a television this fall watching a bunch of sweaty men throw a football around and hit one another uh, because I love the sport. Um, I'm also excited uh, because one of the main reasons I had kids is that in less than two months, I get their free candy for weeks and weeks and weeks at the end of October. And for those of you guys that are looking at me kind of strangely right now, the amount of stuff that parents put up with the other 364 days a year is worth that free candy. So we put our work in to get that free candy. Uh, But the biggest reason I'm excited about fall every year is that in this city in particular, literally thousands of you guys invade this city Uh, with big dreams, big hopes, and excitement of what God's going to do in your life as you plan for the future. And we have been praying for you students all summer long uh, since you left back in May. So for those of you guys that are returning for another year here at the University of Florida and at Santa Fe College, we're happy you guys are back. For those of you guys that are here for the first time, welcome to Gainesville. We are excited to have you. Uh, We are excited for you to be a part of our city for the next couple of years. And we are expectant and hopeful of what God is going to do in your life uh, while you are here. And we are ready uh, to lock arms and do ministry with you here in this city uh, in the coming months and years. And so uh, it was funny as I was preparing for, for my sermon this week, uh, it really started getting me to just reminisce on the story uh, of this church and why this church even exists in the first place. For those of you guys that don't know, this church is only a little over six years old. About seven and a half years ago, uh, my wife and myself and my six-month-old Gideon moved here with about 15 other people to plant Aletheia Church. And uh, we had no money. We had no idea what we were doing, but we, but we did have a vision and a desire. And that desire was for God to use us in the lives of college students, young professionals, and everyone else uh, to use us to share with them the life-changing power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's it. That's all, that's all, that's all we want. We're like, we don't really know how to plant a church. We don't really know anything about leadership. Uh, we don't know anything about uh, how to, to get uh, podcasts or websites or all the things that churches have to do now to survive in our culture and time. But we did have a desire to, to see Jesus 
move in the lives and hearts of people. And, you know, I mean, I look back on that, and I'm like, what in the world was God thinking? I was 26 years old. I had no idea what the heck we were doing. And so I tell people all the time, I was like, you want proof that God is in this thing? Look no further than me. Because somehow God has used me and the other leaders of this church over the course of the last six and a half years to disciple and equip people in the gospel so that they might go out and be lifelong followers of Jesus. And, and, and really, I mean, our desires for this church have not changed much over the years. I mean, we want to love God. We want to live simply. We want to be generous. I mean, for those of you guys that can tell, I mean, we share this space with a school. Like, we are not into aesthetics, as you could see when you come in here. And if you had been in here even th six weeks ago, you would have really known that we weren't in aesthetics because we finally painted this place. So it doesn't look like the pit of a black hole when you walk in anymore, but like at least the paint reflects the light so you don't feel like you're in a dark cave any longer. But the reality is, is as we seek to kind of be generous, we want to serve others and, and equip people to be lifelong disciples, to be the everyday church beyond their time here in Gainesville. And then ultimately, we want to plant more churches. Right? As, the, as the population grows in the U.S. and internationally, we believe that God wants to do uh, big things with that population growth, with, which means planting more churches that are centered around the gospel of Jesus Christ and sharing that good news with the entire world. And so God has been so faithful to us. We've seen hundreds of people discipled. Uh, we've launched out people all over the U.S. and internationally for ministry. And a couple years ago, we planted our first uh, daughter church in Barranquilla, Colombia, which is now in the process of planting their own daughter church in Barranquilla, Colombia. Amen. I heard one woo. Anybody else? Yeah, thank you. Like, let me just give God, yeah. That's exciting because God is on the move. And we didn't know what we were doing, but what we did know, we stuck to it. And more importantly, God knew what he wanted to do. And this church is a testimony, not of uh, a bunch of really skilled men and women who have served faithfully over the years, but more, more importantly, it's a testimony to God's faithfulness to his mission, which is to see the gospel go forward into the ends of the earth. And that, that's, that's what we want. We want to testify to his faithfulness. And so as, as, as I kind of round out this introduction, I'm sharing all that because the reality is we're starting a series in, in, the, in the book of Acts this morning. And the, the reason we are starting that and we're starting this series called Go and Tell, it's because the, the book of Acts is testifying to God's faithfulness to the early church. It is the, the, the early history of the early church. And, and for those of you guys that are unfamiliar with what we do at Aletheia, when we preach on Sunday mornings, we just go through books of the Bible. And the reason we do that is because we value the scriptures here at this church. We study books of the Bible together. Over the course of the last uh, five years, we've studied the Gospel of Matthew. We've studied the book of Romans. We've gone through Galatians, Colossians, Malachi, and 1 Peter together as a church because we value God's word and want to share that and study it and encourage one another together in that, in that word. And so over the last year as a church, though, we've, we've clarified a lot of our vision and mission and values. So basically, really, in reality, the church can kind of grow up from being a church plant to just being a community church here in Gainesville. And as we've been doing that, um, that, that mission and vision and values has caused us to need to be a little bit more consistent in what we're doing in the Word. And so we picked the book of Acts because as we're 
seeking the Lord and wanting to see his faithfulness here in Gainesville to see more people grow as disciples of Jesus Christ, I want us to be encouraged by the fact that God has been in this for the last 2,000 years with the church and we're just an extenu- a, a, a continuance of God's faithfulness over the last 2,000 years. And, and you hear me talking about vision and mission and values. If you want to know more about that, feel free to stay after church today. We're going to have free lunch and drinks after service today, and we'll talk about that for 20 minutes, and we can let you know a little bit more about that. But the book of Acts, okay, here we go, 3,000 3, uh, feet in the air, altitude, overlooking and trying to understand just an overview of what's going on. The book of Acts is a brief history of the early church um, after Jesus' resurrection, where we see other believers empowered by the Holy Spirit to bear witness to the good news of Jesus. And what you'll notice as we study the book of Acts is that um, it's different than a lot of other scripture. And, and by that, what I mean by that is that it is narrative, and meaning it's, it's sharing stories with us of what happened. And so as we study the book of Acts together, one of the things I want to make clear to you guys is this idea of uh, differentiating between uh, what is descriptive in scripture and what is prescriptive in scripture. Okay, so a lot of times when you study narrative books or specifically when you study the book of Acts, people will develop entire churches and ministries based off of a verse or two in the book of Acts. And they'll say, oh, like we see in the early church in Acts chapter two that we'll study in a couple weeks that, that people gathered together and that they, they worshiped together and they had food together and they had all things in common. That's what the church is supposed to be. They're supposed to meet in houses. And if you don't meet in a house for church, you're doing it wrong because that's what they did in scripture. And here's what I would say to that. If you are a part of a house church movement, by no means are you violating the commands of God or doing things wrong. But you need to understand that the early church historically was doing that because they were hiding from persecution. And they were small. They didn't need a large cafeteria room to fit 125, 150 people in. They could all meet in homes and share meals together. And so as we study the book of Acts together, we're going to try to move through what we see as descriptive, which would be things like signs and wonders. We see signs and wonders being done throughout the book of Acts to bring validity to the gospel message and say, but that's not the point of the book. And we also see things in the book of Acts that are prescriptive, right? For example, include Gentiles. How many of you guys in here are of Jewish descent? Like three hands went up. Everyone else in here, if you are a follower of Jesus, You are a follower of Jesus because of the teaching of Jesus Christ and him saying, hey, the goyim, the nations are included in my life, death, burial, and resurrection. Meaning if you're like my ancestors and you were worshiping Thor up in the northern uh, tundra of Europe uh, and, and, and maybe Bark or whatever else my ancestors were worshiping up in northern Europe, right? we had no idea who the true God was. But because of the gospel and the advancement of Jesus' church, we are invited into that. And we continue to invite people in because that's God's heart for his creation. And so as we study the book of Acts, here's what we're going to see this morning. We're going to basically unveil the theme of the entire book of Acts Right? And we're going to see God's purpose for the church, we're going to see God's plan for the church, and we're going to see the power source for that 
mission. And in the midst of all that, as we wade through what's prescriptive and what's descriptive, what we're really going to notice and what I hope we drive home to you guys as we study this book over the course of the next several months is we're going to see God's faithfulness to his church in the midst of that. Now, you'll notice when you sat down, there was one of these black journals sitting there in front of you, okay? Uh, the elders of this church have decided uh, that, that we want to give these to you guys as a resource. And so if you open those up, you'll notice on the left side is scripture and on the right side is just blank pages for journaling thoughts or whatever. What we want you to do is we want you to take this with you right, and bring it back every Sunday so that you can take notes uh, about how God is impacting you uh, through his word. If you're a part of a gospel community uh, this fall, we'll also be working through the book of Acts in those gospel communities. We want you to bring these journals to gospel community as well so that you can fill out uh, notes and things that God is doing in you, but bring them with you. Um, If you're interested, they cost about five bucks, Uh, The church has decided to pay for them, but if you want to pay us back for them to help so that we can use that money in missions or whatever else, you can either drop in one of those offering um, uh, bins in the back, or you can download the Church Center app off of the Google Play Store or the iTunes Play Store because 99% of us have a smartphone in here, and you can give uh, online through that just $5 if you want to pay back for one of these. But if not, don't worry about it. The elders have budgeted for you guys to be able to have that. If you saw these things in there, uh, this we want you to take with you. It's just an invitation card to invite somebody to church. This white piece of paper, don't throw it away. We're going to need it at the end of the sermon. Got it? All right. So, if you want, you can go and open up to page six of the journal, because we're going to be in Acts chapter one, and that's where we're starting today. Uh, And let me just read these first five verses to you. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. All right, so those first three verses Um, in in this book um, are just a bunch of quick background information to the actual book of Acts itself. Um, The author, if you're unfamiliar with this book, was a guy by the name of Luke um, who followed Paul and a number of the other disciples around uh, early on in the church. And um, he's actually the author of two separate books in uh, the New Testament, one being the Gospel of Luke and the other one being uh, the book of Acts. And the Gospel of Luke... um, According to Luke, as he's writing to this person, Theophilus, the, the, the book of Acts is a continuation of the, of the gospel of Luke in many ways. Even though it's been separated in canon uh, in the past by the church, the book of Acts is supposed to really in many ways be a continuance of the gospel of Luke. And so we see here that according to these verses, Luke is saying um, that in the gospel of Luke, he covered all that Jesus had begun to do and teach. And he also included the resurrection. He taught about uh, Jesus' teachings uh, around the kingdom of God and what uh, Jesus had taught about. And then he ended the gospel of Luke with the ascension into heaven where Jesus is ruling and reigning at the right hand of the Father uh, in heaven. And so 
what we see then as we move into the book of Acts is we're going to notice two things in these early verses. We're first going to see that uh, Luke is going to start off by repeating what happens at the end of the gospel of Luke and just explaining what's happening right at the end of Jesus's earthly ministry. Uh, but what we're really going to notice is that the book of Acts is a continuation of what Jesus continued to do and teach. And what I mean by that is even though Jesus here in these first 11 verses is going to ascend and be at the right hand of the Father and not appear again except to Paul on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, we're not going to see Jesus popping up in person throughout the book of Acts very often. But through the Holy Spirit, he is going to continue to do the work that he had done during his earthly ministry. Meaning that the Holy Spirit, he had given commands through it to his apostles. This means that throughout the entire book of Acts, Jesus is going to continue to build his church. I think oftentimes, right, what we do is when we read the book of Acts, we tend to start giving credit to guys like Peter or James or uh, Paul, and we start thinking, these guys are the heroes. They're, they're, they're the ones we're excited about. You know, Paul planted all these churches all over the Roman world, or Peter and James planted all these churches in Judea and where modern-day Israel would be. These guys are our heroes. They're our, they're our spiritual fathers. We need to look back and see what they're doing, and Luke makes it abundantly clear in these first three verses, like, no, in reality, what we read in this historical narrative is this is just the continuance of Jesus' ministry. That anything that happens throughout the book of Acts is because Jesus empowers the church to do so through the work of the Holy Spirit. Right? And then when you get to verse 6, he says this. So when they had come together, this is the disciples and Jesus, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. So Jesus' disciples at this point in time, here they have seen um, Jesus teach them for the last three years. They've seen Jesus betrayed and crucified, and then they've seen him raise again from the dead three days later. And they've spent 40 days with him now, hearing him continue to teach about the kingdom of God. And, and here they are, they've had all this time, all this teaching, all this clarification from Jesus, and yet, what do they do? They still get it wrong, right? They sit before him and they're like, by the way, that should give you great hope. If you're a Christian and you've been struggling and you're up and down in your life, like the fathers of the early church sucked, like struggled constantly. Like Peter, the guy who's told, upon, upon you will I build my church. Like six verses later, Jesus calls him Satan. Right? G great hope for you. If you're, if you're here this morning and you're just struggling, like, man, I'm the worst Christian. I don't know what I'm doing. I've made some mistakes in the past couple of weeks. I don't know what I'm doing. Like, it's okay. Right? God is faithful when you are not. And here again, right, Jesus' disciples who he, could you imagine, by the way, spending three years nonstop with people teaching them and they still don't get it at the end of those three years? Like most of us like will invest in people for a few weeks and they're like, dude, this guy doesn't get it. Like I'm moving on, waiting, wait, you know, some of you freshmen, I love you guys, right? Yeah, I'm going to end up meeting with you throughout the semester. 
and then you're not going to hear from me again in a few, a few months, right? That's because I'm going to give you a little time to mature and get to bed before your 8 a.m. class the next day before, before we meet, all right? And then I'm going to spend time with you. I'm going to invest with you when you can learn to do simple things like dress yourself and get to class on time, right? right? And, and, and listen, I know some of you guys as college students, by the way, like, you're going to be here, and you're going to work a 40-hour week job, and you're going to have it all, and you're going to take full-time classes or whatever else, and like, yes and amen, right, to, to both of you, right? We want to invest in you and, and disciple you, right? But the reality is, is like, Jesus' disciples clearly don't get it. They're looking for Jesus to be a political and military leader who would liberate them from Rome. That's what they're looking for. And Jesus corrects them and says, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Now, I'm going to date myself here for just a second. But any of you guys that lived in a major city uh, about eight or nine years ago, remember those billboards that were popping up of that guy that was convinced the end of the world was happening on like October 16th, 2011? Yeah, a few of you guys do. If you lived in Tampa, I know you saw him because I was living there at the time, right? Okay, that, per- that is a person that never read this verse, right? If, if you think you know the end time and when it's actually coming, you never read scripture because here's what Jesus is saying. It's like, look, I'm here to get you guys on mission to declare the glory of God to the nations. Stop worrying about this nonsense, right? So if you're someone in here this morning that loves doctrine and loves to argue eschatology, do that on your own time. Because the, the mission of God is far more important than arguing through this stuff. And so we see Jesus saying, look, I've, I've spent three years with you guys. I love you, and I'm getting ready to use you to create the biggest movement the world has ever seen. And 2,000 years from now, people all, from all over the world will know the name of Jesus because of your faithfulness. But look, we're, stop worrying about this. Worry, what, worry about what I'm about to tell you. And then, guys, listen to me. If you take nothing else away from this morning, you need to take away what, G, uh, what Jesus says in verse 8. Because verse 8 is the linchpin upon which the entire book of Acts rests. Look at what Jesus says. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. See, this verse is the central theme to the entire book of Acts. As I said earlier, what you see in that verse is three things, right? You see God's purpose for his church. You see God's plan for his church and you see God's power source for the church, right? And, and this is where I said, you know, that the entire book of Acts was going to unveil this for us. That is where I derived it from. As Jesus speaks to the apostles and says to them, hey, here's what I want you guys to see. Here's what I want you guys to know. Verse 8 is the, the mission statement for the church, and what the early church is going to accomplish throughout the book of Acts. And so let's start. I want to break down those, uh, those three Ps, the power, the purpose, and the plan. And I want to start with power, right? What is, what is the power source and what is Jesus referring to as he talks to these disciples? So he says this, 
But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And so we need to take a step back before we talk in depth about how, what this looks like and just kind of define what is the Holy Spirit and what is Jesus referring to and talking about here when he tells his disciples that the Holy Spirit is going to come upon them. Now, just as a side note, if you went to seminary, you would spend weeks and weeks of lectures on the Holy Spirit. And so to think that I could give you a full um, understanding and theology of the Holy Spirit in the uh, 15 minutes that I've allotted myself to talk about this is not going to happen. Uh, but I'm going to do my best to at least kind of um, clean up some of the confusion that, that surrounds the Holy Spirit at times and understanding who he is because we need to understand who the Holy Spirit is if we're going to have a proper understanding of how he works in the early church. And so there's a lot of teaching out there on the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to be, I don't, everyone here, because you guys are college students and you're coming from all over the state of Florida and all over the U.S. and all over the world in reality, you guys are coming in, whether you realize it or not, a lot of times with an understanding of who the Holy Spirit is because of past teaching. And some of that's good and some of it isn't. Some of it's biblical, some of it's not. Some of it's helpful, some of it isn't. And so hopefully we'll clean some of that up, but beliefs vary drastically. And so let's start with this. Who, who or what is the Holy Spirit? And here's, here's what I would say to you about who the Holy Spirit is, okay? The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, Spirit, I don't know what the Spirit is. Man, Jackie, my, my Southern Virginia drawl hasn't come out in a while. Man, that was... You've worked so hard to get it out of me, and every once in a while, you know, down by the creek, you know, what, yeah, you know, man, haven't done that. The rural people are dying laughing at me right now, because they know, and those of you guys that are from the north, like, what is this guy talking about? A creek is a creek, okay, and it runs through something called a holler. <laughs> now none of you guys have any idea what I'm talking about. A valley, sorry. There you go. Caitlin knows. All right off track already. Okay, so the Holy Spirit is a person, okay? Uh, it, it is not an impersonal force. Oftentimes when I, when I hear people start talking about the work and the role of the Holy Spirit in their lives, uh, it gets very George Lucas, Star Wars-esque very quickly. You know, I, you know, I just feel like the force of the Holy Spirit moving through me, and I'm like, dude, man, Luke didn't know how to control that, and I don't know what that is, but it ain't biblical, Right? And by the way, I, am, I love Star Wars. Like this past week, like some of the best news I've heard in years is that Ewan McGregor is going to be playing Obi-Wan Kenobi again in like some new movie or something like that. I'm a total Star Wars nerd. And for a few of you guys are like, yes. The rest of you are like, shut up, dude. Right? But the reality is the Holy Spirit, right, understanding what the Scripture teaches us is that the Holy Spirit is one-third of the Trinity, right? It is God, it is a personhood of God, and he works in tandem with the Father and the Son to do the will of the Father here on earth, right? And so there will be times when the Spirit is described even in some ways as, as like a force, but the, the Holy Spirit is cognizant and aware. It has a will because it is a person. And so if you start giving uh, language and understanding to the Holy Spirit that differentiates it and speaks of it more of a, uh, as a force, you uh, really decrease the power and the personhood of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit, as you, if you study um, the epistles, 
epistle of Paul to the Corinthians is the person who actually gives out things like spiritual gifts and power to the church to be able to complete and do the mission of God. And so just understand that if you're here this morning and you're coming in here and you have this thought of the Holy Spirit as this like weird un, like force that you kind of like need to reel in or whatever else, you've allowed Star Wars to mix in with your theology and just throw that out because the Holy Spirit is a person that comes alongside the Father and the Son to declare the glory of God. Right? And, and you'll see this fully, but like, for example, in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, I can, I can tell you with full confidence that this is even Jesus' understanding of the Spirit, because when he gives them the command of the Great Commission, Jesus came to them and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And then look at what he says. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of who? The Father, the Son, and who else? And the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Right? Meaning that to fully understand who God is, we understand him as Father, we understand the person of the Son, but we also understand that the Holy Spirit is alive and active and at work. Now, Daniel's going to talk more in two weeks about the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit when he talks about Pentecost. But what we need to understand is this, right? Jesus taught his disciples that the Holy Spirit dwells inside of a Christian and does the work of illuminating the gospel and the truth of who Christ is in their hearts. Let's take a, let's take a minute um, and mo- go over to John chapter 14, right? Jesus spends, um, gosh, probably, probably two or three paragraphs as recorded by, by, by uh, the apostle John on who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit is going to do in the lives of the disciples and the subsequent disciples of Jesus Christ. Look at what Jesus says, just starting in verse 16, right? We're going to notice three things here that Jesus teaches us about the Holy Spirit, right? And the first one is this, that the Holy Spirit dwells in Jesus' followers, that he empowers them by dwelling in them. Look at what he says in verse 16. He says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You will know him for what? He dwells with you and what? Will be in you. Right? This means if you are a disciple and a follower of Jesus Christ here this morning, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. He dwells in you. If no one's ever taught you that, right, or they taught you that you needed to have some sort of second baptism or some sort of second filling to have the Holy Spirit, you were taught wrong. A follower of Christ is regenerated by the work of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit illuminates and dwells with them and really in many ways illuminates our hearts to understanding who Christ is. And so the Holy Spirit comes and takes residence inside of you, inside of me, and empowers us for ministry. Now, 
That's the next thing that Jesus talks about in John chapter 14. He says, look, I'm, I'm going to ask the Father after my time on earth is done. I'm going to ask him to send the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is going to come. He's going to dwell inside of you, and the reason he's going to come and, and dwell inside of you is because he's going to empower you to do ministry like me. Right? Look at verse 12. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also what? Do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. So here's what Jesus is saying to them. He's like, I'm gonna leave eventually. I'm gonna go back into heaven and sit at the right hand of the Father, but I'm gonna send this Holy Spirit to you and that Holy Spirit is gonna empower you for ministry so that you can do the work that I've been doing here on earth. Now that inevitably raises the question, right? Well, what is that work? What, what, what does that work look like? What, what did Jesus do? So let's, I mean, let's think about a few things, right? I mean, miracles, right? Jesus did a lot of really awesome stuff, you know, healed people, raised people from the dead, right? I am not gonna get into a 20-minute lecture over what the Holy Spirit is doing today and what the Holy Spirit is not doing, but I'll just say this, right? It seems to me from my understanding of scripture that I'm not allowed to tell the Holy Spirit what he is or is not allowed to do. I'm not, I'm not and I'm not interested in doing that. Are miracles happening at the same rate we see them in scripture? I don't know. In my life, no. But I can also tell you this. I have seen things and heard testimony of others that have seen God do some pretty miraculous things. Because the Holy Spirit is alive and active. But anytime you start talking about the Holy Spirit and doing ministry like Jesus, that's what people want to run to first. Right? They want to say, oh, we're going to do ministry like Jesus. Well, we're going to be healing people. And we're going to be casting out demons. And we're going to be raising people from the dead. I'm like, maybe. But what else did Jesus do? He dined with sinners and tax collectors. He cared about the poor. He taught who God truly was. He was generous with his time and his talents. He loved people well. Guys, when I say that the Holy Spirit empowers us for ministry, I'm not talking about some sort of strange exorcist level Hollywood movie where you're casting out demons and doing the Benny Hinn thing, right? Where you're throwing things around. Some of you guys have no idea what I'm talking about when I, when I say Benny Hinn. Just go watch um, a, a video of him slaying people in the spirit to the music of when the bodies hit the floor. It's, it'll be the best <laughs> five minutes you spend on the internet today, okay? When I say that the Holy Spirit empowers us for ministry, I mean that the Holy Spirit is dwelling in us so that we can live out doing the hard things that Jesus did in his life. This means being patient with people who are difficult. This means loving people that are difficult. This means helping the poor and being generous with your time, talents, gifts, right? For the glory of God. And so we see that as Jesus teaches on the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in us, both to empower us, but also to seal us, right? That's what another thing that the Holy Spirit does. It seals us and, and gives us the promise that we belong to Jesus and have been adopted as God the Father's sons and daughters. That Holy Spirit then gives us power and empowers us to do ministry like Jesus. And then lastly, what we see in verse 26 is that the Holy Spirit empowers our identity in Jesus Christ. Right, look at verse 26 of John chapter 14. I'm going to actually start in verse 25 because I just want you to get a little context to what Jesus is talking about. But he says, these things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. So he's saying, look, I've, I've been teaching you. I want you to understand this. But then look what he says in verse 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, 
whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. For any of you guys that have been a Christian for, for any length of time, there are some days where you just doubt and struggle. I, I do. Like, is this real? Am I really a Christian? Right? Am I really a follower of Jesus? Has God really done a work in me? And one of the most important things that the Holy Spirit does in our lives is he teaches us all things and brings to remembrance to us all that Christ said to us, which includes telling us that Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection were sufficient to save us and adopt us as God's sons and daughters. That the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives is both to empower us for ministry, but also to empower us to remember our identity in Christ. And as the Holy Spirit empowers our identity in Christ, you're going to see life change. It's not, it's not like people ask me all the time, it's like, if, I'm, if, I, if I become a Christian, like, do I have to change? I'm like, well, I mean, kind of, yes, but like, you don't really have a choice. I hate to break that to you. Like, like if, you, if you willingly submit to Jesus, like your life will change. The Holy Spirit will change you. It's not really like open to discussion. Like from the language of Scripture and what I see here, it's just what happens. I, I think about it this way. I have seen people that were highly successful businessmen working for uh, major tech companies outside of Raleigh, North Carolina, surrender a $300,000 a year salary to go to Sri Lanka and help with disaster relief after the tsunami and to plant churches in Sri Lanka. And when you ask him why he did it, one word, Jesus. That if you find your identity in Jesus Christ, if you have tasted and seen the goodness of Jesus, that type of stuff happens. And look, some of you guys, like a lot of you guys are not going to be called to have a a six-figure salary and then surrender that and go into full-time ministry. But some of you might. And as the Holy Spirit empowers you to live out of that identity, right, this is the life change you see. Another big one for me, I meet Young, immature men all the time who have no desire to get married. And in reality, I love a lot of you women enough to not allow them to marry you (laughs) when I first meet them. Someone should have done the same thing for my wife and said just like hold off two years, then marry Kevin if you really want to marry him. And as I see people come and taste the goodness of the gospel, and I see the Holy Spirit work in them and empower them to live out their identity, I watch boys grow to men who are willing to surrender the freedom of being autonomous with their time and their gifts and their talents and their energy, and instead grow into husbands and fathers to the glory of God. That's what the Holy Spirit does as it empowers us in our identity because what the Holy Spirit reminds us is the same thing Jesus taught his disciples, that he is the treasure hidden in a field. The one that when, when the, the, the man finds the treasure, he values it so much that he reburies it but then goes and buys the field. That's the beauty of being a follower of Christ. This means then 
that the role of the Holy Spirit in, in the life of a Christian is that it teaches us to obey Jesus. It, it convicts us of sin. It draws us to repentance. And then it leads us to follow Jesus more and more. And as the Holy Spirit does this, the purpose and plan of God for the church comes to life. Right? As we talk about the purpose and the plan for the church and what we're supposed to be doing, we need to first understand that none of this is possible without the work of the Holy Spirit inside of each and every one of us. And as God empowers us through the work of his Holy Spirit, then and only then can we see the church advance and do the things that God calls it to do in verse 8. And so we see, Jesus says, right, first and foremost, right, that, that the power of the Holy Spirit will come upon them, right, he says this in verse 8, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and then he does this, he shares what they're supposed to be doing, the purpose, right, the, the whole reason that Jesus didn't right then and there uh, kick Rome out of Israel and establish his kingdom and begin to rule and reign here on earth is because of what they're supposed to be doing, right? Look at what he says next. And you will be my witnesses. Now, what does it mean to be a witness, right? What Jesus is saying there is that the entire job of Christians, anyone who is a disciple of Jesus Christ, the reason you exist is to witness to the glory of God. Now, I would submit this to you. The reason the human race exists is to witness to the glory of God, right? All of creation witnesses to God's beauty, majesty, and power, all of it. Like, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, we're excited you're here. Thank you for coming to worship with us. We would love to share with you and, and walk alongside you as you learn more about Jesus and what he has done for you. But just by the fact that you exist, do you know that the Bible teaches you have value and you matter because you are made in the image and likeness of God? Simply by breathing, you matter. By, by taking breath and having life, you witness to the glory and majesty of your creator. But Christians get to witness a higher level of that glory because they know the magnitude, it can share the magnitude of God's love for his creation in the work of his son, Jesus Christ. And so Jesus says to them, hey, once the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will be my witnesses. Right? If you've got a Bible, turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This was the verse that convinced me to plant a church, the one that I'm about to share with you. So be careful as you read this because you might be planting a church in a few years because of this verse. Right? Look at what Jesus says in 2 Corinthians, uh, excuse me, what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation, right? Everyone, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you love this verse. Oh, like, I'm a new creation. Like, this is so, yay. You know, and like, I'm excited too. Like I read that, and I'm like, yes, because I remember what was happening before Christ and that was bad, really, really bad, right? But now in Christ, I am a new creation. But then uh, we, we tend to read the next part. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come, and then we stop because the next part's a little uncomfortable. Look at what he says. 
All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and what? Gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to who? Us, the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are what? Ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that what? In him we might become the righteousness of God. Here, here, here's what I want you to understand. That what Paul shares there in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 about you, if you are a disciple of Jesus here this morning, this, he is talking to you. You are in full-time ministry. And it's, and it's not negotiable. It's not like Jesus is like, you know, like Kevin is a full-time pastor at Aletheia Church, and your job is to bring everybody to him. Mm-mm. I don't know where the church learned that doctrine in the last couple hundred years, but it certainly wasn't from Scripture. Right? What we see in Scripture is that each and every one of us is empowered by the Holy Spirit, and we will witness to the glory of God if the Holy Spirit resides inside of us. We will declare the glory of God. This is not a negotiable idea for a follower of Jesus. That a follower of Jesus Christ's heart posture is to be that of a witness to the all-encompassing beauty that they have found in their Savior Jesus. Let, let me just like let you pause and think about this for a second. Do you keep quiet about other things that you're passionate about? Like if the Gators won the national championship, how many of you guys would be quiet about that? Like three of you. And I know the two of you that I saw for sure raise your hand. You don't care about football or the Gators. <laughs> but if you're a Gator supporter, you're going to be like intolerable to be around for months. And as maybe you should be. It's exciting, right? The team you support and you, you, you sweat with in 140 degree temperatures inside the swamp for some unknown reason on Sunday afternoons while I sit in the comfort of my air-conditioned home. Right? You sit there and you're a part of it with them and you cheer for them. You're passionate about it and you're going to declare that passion to everyone you know. I, th I think about it this way. Right? I love my wife deeply. I'm head over heels for her. And if someone were to say to me, like, dude, you need to, like, from the stage, stop talking about how much you love your wife. I'm going to be like, dude, you need to step out of here real quick. <laughs> like, 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 real fast. Grace is for, from Jesus, but it might not be coming from me right now. <laughs> because I love my wife. I am passionate about God calling us together. I'm passionate about who God is forming her and molding her to be. And I am not going to be silent about that because I treasure her. Our witness to Jesus is called to be much the same. That if our hearts had been transformed by the gospel and the Holy Spirit resides inside of us, we will 
witness to the beauty and majesty of Jesus. I mean, it's what the entire book of Acts is about. The early church witnessing to the beauty and power of Jesus Christ. I mean, I think about Peter. Think about that guy for a minute. The one I told you that Jesus called Satan just a a few minutes ago. Jesus went... Jesus went from having Peter, teaching him, calling him Satan, then him declaring that he would die with Jesus at the crucifixion, to telling Peter, you're going to deny me three times once I'm arrested. Peter then denies him three times, denies he even knows who Jesus is. And then what happens three days later? Peter meets the resurrected Jesus, and what happens? You can't shut him up. Like all, all he wants to do after he's met the resurrected Christ is with the power and indwelling of the Holy Spirit inside of him, witness to the glory of Jesus. He goes and tells. And that's what the entire book of Acts is going to be. And so we see the power source for the church is the Holy Spirit. We see the purpose of the church is to be his witnesses. And lastly, what we see is the plan. He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the and, and, and to the end of the earth. Jesus says that when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we will experience power, we will have a purpose, and we will achieve that purpose by following his plan. And that's to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the end of the earth. And here's, here's how we would say, okay. Descriptive versus prescriptive, okay? Here's a, here's a moment. We don't all need to move to Jerusalem right now, okay? What he's saying to them is, hey, you're in Jerusalem right now. You need to witness to my glory here. Jerusalem is a part of Judea. So for us, Florida. You need to witness to the glory of Jesus Christ in Judea, in Florida. Samaria. Now, for those of you guys that don't know Samaria, Jews didn't really like Samaria very much. So I don't know who that is for us. Maybe Georgia, Alabama, Louisiana. I don't really know. I know when I was in Virginia, it was West Virginia. If you're from West Virginia, we love you. My grandmother's West Virginian, but states just kind of pick on other states. Is it Alabama here? No? No? Georgia? Okay, Georgia. Okay, Georgia is Samaria, guys. Right, we're to care about Georgia and want to declare and witness to the glory of God in Georgia. And then what does he say? and to the end of the earth. As the gospel is all-inclusive. God doesn't care about a certain race. He doesn't care about a certain people group. He wants the good news of his glory and what his son Jesus Christ has done for them to go to everyone. And he's telling us that we will witness to that good news. We will witness to it. And guys, we as a church, at Aletheia Church, if you're here this morning, it's your first time, if you want to know anything about us, we want to exemplify that same mission that the church has been on since Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It's simple. That's our, that's our plan. That's our strategy. We stole it directly from Jesus. We didn't come up with some great mission strategy or you know, so, some great business model or plan. We just stole it directly from Jesus. We want the Holy Spirit to empower us to live out his purpose by his plan. That's what we want. And that's what we want for you. 
We want each and every one of you to understand the magnitude of God's love for you in Christ. And as you grow in that identity, we want you to witness that beauty and share it with others for the glory of God. We want you to receive power and witness according to his plan. Now here's the thing. It's fun if I stand up here and, and say all these things and, and say, hey, we want you to witness to the power and the glory of, of Jesus and what he's done. But one of the ways that we know we can help you do that as leaders in the church is to give you just some specific things to do. And so here's, here is something that um, we're going to actually challenge you on this morning um, and something that we're going to continue to bring to the forefront of your mind over the course of the next couple of months as we study the book of Acts together. All right, so if you've got that little note card that we stuck in those journals, will you just take that out for me for a second? Because I'm going to ask you to do something with, with that little note card. Okay? This note card has a, has a purpose and, and, and a reason why uh, we've given it to you this morning. And here's what we want you to do, do with it. Uh, we're starting something this morning that we're calling the One Campaign. If you don't like that name, give it a different name. I don't really care. But that's what we're going to call it. Right? And here's what we want you to do. God has called you and I to witness to the beauty of Jesus Christ to those around us. And I know for some of you guys in here this morning, you have never shared your faith with someone else. Never. And, and here's what I would say to you. We live in a time and a, and a place and a season culturally where the most effective type of witness done for the gospel is not done by pastors, it's not done by sermons, it's not done by politicians, it's done by faithful Christians who love Jesus and talk about how Jesus has changed their life to other people. You, you are the greatest tool God has for expanding his kingdom apart from the Holy Spirit. And the good news is the Holy Spirit resides inside of you. So you're working together. If I, if I sat down and asked, how many of you are here at Aletheia Church this morning because someone you know or have met invited you to this church? Raise your hand. About 50 to 60% of you. Right? It wasn't done by some Facebook blitz or some like, you know, sermon done on television or whatever else. It was done by a relationship you have with someone else who loves Jesus, wants to grow in Christ together as a church family and witness to the glory of God. And so here's what I want you to do with these cards, right? And if I could get um, my helpers that are gonna come up on stage and move this cross for me, we're gonna do something super, super cheesy this morning, and I'm not ashamed, okay? I want you to take this card, and, and every week at Aletheia, when we're done working through the sermon, we have a time of reflection and communion. Okay, so if you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, you believe that what Jesus did in his life, death, burial, and resurrection was sufficient for you to reconcile you to God the Father, right? Here's the first thing we would tell you to do. We're gonna turn the lights down here in just a minute. We're gonna invite the band to come back up here. And as we do that, we're just gonna reflect and we're gonna worship Jesus because he has saved us. He has secured salvation with the Father for us. 
And we take communion not as an act of penance or contrition and something super. We take it as an act of worship because the flesh and blood of Christ were poured out for us. And that is an act of worship because he willingly gave himself up for us. And so we don't take communion sadly or solemnly. We take it joyfully because the promise of communion is that you are forgiven in Christ if you are in him. And then here's what I want you to do. Before you come up here and take communion, will you sit there and reflect for a moment? And first and foremost, will you just pray and thank God that it was the perfect will of the Father to send his Son to die for you in your place and upon doing that then sent the Holy Spirit to reside inside of you both as a sign and seal of that forgiveness but to also to empower you for ministry. And then after you do this, I want you to take out a pen and I want you to write one person's name down who does not know Jesus. And I want you to do this for me. I want you to commit to praying for them. I want you to commit to asking God to give you wisdom, strength, and power to witness to the glory of Jesus Christ to them. And then here's what we're gonna do. I want you to take that card. I want you to come up here and take communion. And as you walk back through the center and go back to your seat upon taking communion, I want you to drop your card right here at the foot of the cross. And the reason I'm asking you to do that is because there's power in imagery. I want you to give that person over knowing that none of that is possible. The things you want for that person, your desires for that person, none of that is possible without the work of the Holy Spirit. And we're gonna lay it before him. And here's what we're gonna do over the course of the the next couple months. We're gonna leave those cards at the foot of the cross every week. We're gonna lay them there. We're gonna pray for them. The staff and leaders of this church are gonna be praying. Sometimes we'll come over here and even grab the cards and pray for that person by name. Don't worry, we're not gonna release a directory and no one has to know that you wrote someone's name down. You know, it's gonna be okay. But then if you see somebody come to Christ and you wrote their name down, I want you to tell us because guess what we're gonna do? We're gonna nail it to the cross because that person's in Christ now, and we're gonna celebrate what God's doing. And maybe, if God is merciful to us, we'll have a whole mess of cards nailed to this cross in a couple months. Not because we wanna grow as a church. I don't care if that person ever ends up at this church or not. I really don't. I mean that wholeheartedly. I want them to be in a church. But more importantly, I want them to know the glory of the God who created them and the magnitude of God's love for them in Jesus Christ. So we're going to turn the lights down. I'm going to invite the band back up here. And I'm just going to pray. I'm going to pray that, one, first and foremost, we would better understand the magnitude of God's love for us in Christ. And in understanding that, we would be his witnesses. And that he would empower us to boldly be those witnesses. But then I'm also going to pray that God would use this time to begin a movement amongst the brothers and sisters of Christ who are in this church this morning worshiping together to be his witnesses and to see the people whose names are gonna be written down on this card experience the life-changing power of the gospel, to know the glory of God in Christ and to experience the power of the Holy Spirit inside of them. Will you bow your head and pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that even as you gave a command to your disciples right here in verse eight of Acts chapter one, 
you still display to us that you are sovereignly in control. That you are the reason for us to witness. And that you, Holy Spirit, are the power source to our witness. So God, I ask first and foremost this. If there's anyone here this morning that does not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, Holy Spirit, will you just meet them right now? Illuminate the truth of who Jesus Christ is to them. The magnitude of his love for them. Reveal to them that God loves them so much that he didn't spare even the life of his own son, but instead sent Jesus to die in their place for their sin and rebellion. And that Jesus rose again from the dead three days later to offer us new life and adoption into the kingdom of heaven as your sons and daughters. If there's anyone in here this morning that does not know that to be true, Holy Spirit, would you illuminate that to them now? And Lord, for those of us that have walked with you for years or months, or maybe even days, Holy Spirit, will you lay someone on our hearts, someone that we know does not believe and trust in Jesus? will you give us the strength and resolve to be your witness? And will you use us, please, Lord, to witness to that person? God, we, we commit to praying for them. We commit to witnessing to them commit to sharing the testimony of what you've done in our lives to them, but ultimately, Lord, we lay it at the feet of the cross because we know that no one comes to know you unless it has been revealed to them by the Father. And so, Lord, as we lay these cards down at the cross, we lift them up to you, asking that the Holy Spirit would do the work that we can't do, which is witnessing to the glory of power and the majesty of Jesus. Lord, thank you for this time. Let's to leave here today loving you and worshiping you more and going forth and telling as your witnesses. And I ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.